Welcome back to Last of Ten. I'm Bonnie. I'm Dustin. And today we have with us our hubbies, Corey and Max. Hello. Hi. (laughs) And for today's topic, we are calling it A Tale of Two Missions. Both our husbands served missions in Brazil, um, but come from very different backgrounds. So we thought it'd be really interesting to have them come on and share their different experiences with their missions in Brazil. So... Maybe should we start with just a, b- a brief background from both of you, and you can just let us know what got you on the path to a mission in the first place. Go ahead, Corey. Okay. Yep, I am 38 years old, so it's been a little while since I've been out of my mission. Um, you know, there was, at the time... I was born into the church, always had, you know, the expectation that we were supposed to serve. We were, you know, like the priesthood. Yeah, that you were you were called to serve always just to to do everything that they say, basically. And uh, and the mission was part of that. It was expected that all the all the men would go at least. And I mean, there are still few here and there that you would see that didn't go. But for the majority, I think it's expected that all the men go. And then at the time, it was also that women could go, but they would go a little bit later than we would, or like at a later age than we would. And also for a little bit shorter of a time. Uh, the family, I think, definitely expected it. They, I wouldn't say there was a lot of pressure from the family other than just that it was expected. That's all. I mean, I had personal desire to go because at that time I was trying to be as fully committed to the church as you could be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a desire to to see where I would go to, and and I did hope that it would be to a different country, speaking a different language. Part of me hoped that it would be speaking Spanish, like. Uh, three of my brothers speak, but I mean, I was excited to go to Brazil. I was excited to meet the people there, the language. And so there was definitely a personal desire to go, but there was also, I would say religious and I don't know the word familial expectations that Mm -hmm. you would go. Mm -hmm. And, and that, yeah, you would put everything you had into it. So you're, you're, uh, journey to to a mission started when you were really young oh yeah because oh man they they talk about it they preach about it they sing about it they sing songs Mm -hmm. at church all the time primary Mm -hmm. and then you watched your brothers go and come back yeah i watched um i watched all four of them go Uh, i have one brother that that got pretty sick he got he got really sick and he had to come back Um, early and actually he went to Brazil too he was just there a lot shorter than I was but it was nice to to get a couple insights from him as to Mm -hmm. what to expect down there Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't a lot because I mean he wasn't there for very long what about you Max what was your how did you 
How did get you get into, on it? Well, yeah. you're a later convert, so there's that. But then you also did go on a mission. Yeah, so I was baptized in 2000. How old were you when you... So I was 18, okay. about 18 years old. Uh, my family is not LDS, so I was the only one. Mm -hmm. And I'm still the only one, I think, that ever went to the church, I mean, and got involved. Was it missionaries that just showed up at your house type of thing, or did you so, know people? No, I was I was in a private school trying to learn English, and then the missionaries, they showed up uh, trying to uh, help us with English, but I know it's that was not the purpose. <laughs> the purpose was... <laughs> no, no, yeah. Okay. But I mean, uh, it was interesting. It was like something different. I never had contact with any like American person. And uh, yeah, it sounded interesting. Like the Book of Mormon, they were talking about all that, you know. And I was the third person to be baptized in my city actually wow. yeah it was really small the branch was really starting uh the mission was responsible for that we didn't have like a stake president the the um president of the mission he was uh our president our leader so he would go there on sundays to our meetings oh wow he would preside that mm -hmm. so uh we didn't have any baptismal pool is that that you call here, uh -huh. yeah, baptismal pool in my city. So what uh, they did in the beginning, we would go to the beach, oh yeah, and then get cool. baptized there. <laughs> so I would go out with missionaries like for hours during the day, you know, visiting people, trying to go to friends' house and get them to go to the church, and it was like all day long. It was like I was a missionary already, you know, after. Uh, I would be six, seven hours of my day oh, wow. going out with the missionaries and try to um, get them to my friends and uh, yeah, whoever I knew at the moment. Um, yeah, it was that. That was, I think, a big part of that drove me to serve a mission. Because basically, you already were. Yeah, yeah, I was not even, I was like, yeah, I was a missionary, like, full-time, mm -hmm. I would say, like, for um, two years before going wow. on a mission for two years. Wow. <laughs> you know, what was your family's response to you spending so much time? Uh, my family was not happy at all. <laughs> they didn't like the church because they heard about all the, you know racism in the beginning and mm. um uh plural marriage with you know over here so it, it, they oh, didn't they, knew, they about... knew about it because they heard from other people oh. you know and they didn't like that idea at all but uh, they always respected um, my decisions um they didn't like it they expressed that mm -hmm. but um they let me do it, whatever I want to do it, yeah. you know, and that was cool, yeah. So did, was it in spending time with the missionaries already, having conversations with them that put, you know, like, oh, you should go, or did the mission president approach you and say, hey, Max, you, 
Yeah, all of them. I thought was not possible. I didn't think about it actually, but they they were like, hey, hey, uh, you can do the same. You can go and serve a mission, be a missionary, you know. And uh, I saw that as it. In the beginning, it was like, I don't have money for that. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot do it at all. You guys are American. You guys, you know, I don't know. You you have money. That was my thought. You have money and you can do whatever you want. But I don't. I cannot go to any other country or state and, you know, spend yeah. that money as a mission. But uh, they explained everything that the church could help me to go mm-hmm. and serve a mission. So that's what I decided. But they were, yeah. They were responsible for that decision, the, the mission president and also the missionaries. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's follow Corey's uh, story first, um, and then we can follow up with, with your experience. So Corey, what was it like preparing to go? Um. Well, there was a... I had just finished high school, had a little bit of time. So I I don't know the exact word. I didn't apply. I, I filled out paperwork to go, mm-hmm. right? And you have to have your interviews and all that. Then they send your paperwork off and they decide whether you're going. And, uh, and then they'll send your mission call back. I was in a hurricane working for my uncle when mine came. And I had two brothers drive down and and pick me up to bring me back to open the call. And that's when I found out that it was to Brazil, but preparing, I mean, I knew that I was going to need white shirts and, and the slacks and the, Do they give you like a list? They have a list of different things that you'll need and you can kind of just go down there and check them all off to make sure that you have, uh, what you need, especially for that area. And you kind of want to start getting stuff together, but at the same time, you don't want to until you have the call in front of you to know, A, whether you're going or B, where you're going, mm-hmm. you know? So there was there was some stuff that I heard from siblings and about what I could do to start getting some stuff ready, but a lot of it I really did try to wait until that call came. And you have a chunk of time between when the call comes and when you actually are sent to the MTC or mm-hmm. or to the area. Then did you spend any time in the MTC here or were you flown out and you did the no. MTC in Brazil? I I flew out. I, is it a nine-hour flight? Or is it yeah, it's a nine hours and a half, ten when hours. You, when yeah. you go from one yeah. of the outer states, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I flew to Atlanta. And then it was nine hours over there. And I went straight from being with my family to getting off the plane at Atlanta, getting on the plane, flying over to Brazil and right out into Brazil. And then there was a guy with a sign that was there to pick up. And I think there were two sisters there and three other elders that were with me. Mm -hmm. And so our group was that big and they actually ended up being the ones in my class. So... What concerns did you have going into it? Maybe on the that nine-hour plane ride over, what was going through your head going into it? Um, you just don't know how Brazil's going to be. I mean, you see pictures, but you don't know the language. So how do you communicate? Does anybody speak English? Am I 
going to be able to pick up the language quick enough. And yeah, are they nice? Are they are they more closed off? Are they? I don't know. There's all this stuff's kind of going through your head. But uh, but yeah, I mean, it was it was nine hours of just a little bit of anxiety. And then there's the well. My question is um, about the cost. I don't know if that comes in right now. Is there a certain a certain amount? you have to have to before you go or and then i don't know is there a monthly yeah how does the financial aspect of it work out honestly i had heard that there was a cost to go and that they were going to have to to pay i think monthly or whatever like it was a certain fee for me to go like that your family but they never talked to me about it they never did but it was again it was the family expectation that you go on a mission and, but I was never told how much it would be. Um, I do know that it was fairly expensive for what it was, you know, and, uh, but part of me wonders at times, like if they didn't tell me anything about the money because they just didn't want me to worry or don't go and the Lord's going to yeah. provide whatever and make it happen. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, they never, they never told me about the money. And then when when I got there and got in the mission, I actually didn't even know about the monthly allowance that we get mm. at the mission, which was not much. How, do you remember how much it was for you? I want to say, like my if my memory is serving me well, which I really don't think I'm far off. It was either. Uh, 65 or 75 hay eyes for a two or three week period, something like that. Usually two weeks. Is it two weeks? Which yeah. is translates to like what in American? <laughs> yeah, it was like somewhere around $30. Yeah, I would say I would get the same like $30 it was like every 30, two weeks. Because it was like at the time it was like... Two and a, it was like two point something hay eyes for every one American dollar, and so I mean you could. And is that solely for food and transportation, or mm-hmm. what does that all need to cover? It's food and transportation. Uh, I don't know about where Max was, but we had a busing system that went all over Sao Paulo, and there's a little card that you get that scans. And they call that, uh, that was called Bilieci Unico. And you would have little stations that you could go to, pay them the money, and they would load up the money onto your card. And every time you scanned it, it would take off a certain amount. But I believe that it also would show you the amount you had left on your card so that you you could kind of figure out how many bus rides you had left or... Or so where your account was at. You had to refill that card yes. with your allowance mm-hmm. as well as food. As well as food. Are, are, are family members also sending money to you on their own type of thing? Or does that need to be filtered through the mission or something or whatever? I don't know. I guess they could just. It was it was weird for me because again I didn't I didn't even know about and this is all the stuff that okay. I should have figured out before. Well, maybe I left. It, it's probably not an important. You know, of course it's like don't 
you know, the Lord will provide, it'll be provided. Just go and this is what your focus is. I mean, yes, but at the same time, what they give you to live on, it doesn't cover much. I mean, it really doesn't, especially when, when you're covering mostly the food and stuff, you're thinking about, for me, I was walking easily 13 miles a day all over the place Mm. that takes a fair amount of food and energy. You know, I mean, we had, we had members for the majority of the time cooking us food, uh, like one meal, you know, or there, I remember maybe two or three times that we asked that, that whoever was scheduling the meals double booked a meal. And so he'd go from one to another and that day you'd be well fed, well fed, but you know, you still only got that one really good meal and then you kind of just filtered in what you have to make up that difference. But I didn't, like I said, that didn't, that didn't go very far because that would cover food. It would cover soap. It would cover like deodorant. It would cover all the uh, toothpaste, toothbrush, all that stuff. So it, it just, it would go pretty quick. And I remember a chunk of time in my mission where I was I was getting pretty worried because I, I couldn't ever make that money stretch a little further because I had some clothes that were starting to fall apart or I had to replace certain things. And that's where I went through my bag and found out that my mom had left a card in there that would access my account that I had at home. But she never told me how much was in there. She never yeah. told, and and then because it was like a visa, you could do it internationally, but usually there's a fee with it, you know. And so, I was like, well, I don't know how much is on here. I can at least go check the balance, and if there's something in there, then I guess I can pull from it. And I went in there and checked, and I had like, like three hundred and twenty bucks in there, and I was like, well. That gets me some of the stuff, you know, and so I, I pulled out just a small chunk and got what I needed at the time, and kind of just left the rest of the stuff there. But, but that's the that's the hard part is there was never any discussions about money there. I didn't, I didn't know that there was another pool that I could pull from if, mm-hmm. if I felt like I needed something else while I was out there. And you also at that time, that was when if I'm re- if I'm remembering right you still only had contact with your family. Like you could write once a week or something. Yeah. It was only one time during uh, P-Day. P-Day. And P-Day was uh, Wednesday, I want to say for us, Wednesday. But you mm. could only call like twice a year, right? Mother's Day and Christmas. Christmas. Right. Yeah. Yep. So not. it's a little different now, I think. But It's, yeah, I hear it's quite a bit different. <laughs> but um, yeah. That was, that was kind of the whole money part leading up to it. Hmm. Wow. So what was it like for you to learn the language? I was very excited to learn it. Uh, Portuguese is, is really a beautiful language, especially when, um, I mean, you, you hear different accents, and it's cool to hear the accent because you can tell where a person comes from based on the accent. But it's like, it sounds like three or four different languages all bundled up into one, but yet you hear 
a lot of almost base words that you would hear in like Spanish. Like you could see the word and be like, oh yeah, that totally means this in Spanish. And I can see how they go hand in hand. And I think it's kind of easier to understand Spanish having known Portuguese, but I think it's harder for people who speak Spanish to understand Portuguese because they're not used to the words being said that way. But like, you know, you can you can learn Portuguese and see the correlation between the two words and be able to pick it up a little better, I think. How long was the the MTC before you're out on starting to talk to just people out, out uh, in the mission field or whatever? Two months, I believe. Two months of a crash course, basically, in Portuguese. If you can call it that. Okay. What what was was there a point on your mission where you're like felt fluent or something like um do you remember i remember struggling for a long time and getting pretty frustrated that i wasn't picking it up faster um and there were some portuguese like some songs in portuguese that i heard before my mission and i remember sitting on a bus uh and this was about six six and a half months in and i remember being really frustrated one day and I sat on the bus and I heard those same songs that I heard from before my mission. It was two songs and I just remember sitting there listening going, hey, I know what they said. <laughs> like, I know what that meant, you know? That was weird. And then somewhere, same area, um, I don't know exactly how far in between each other, but I just remember having a, um, a dream, and I don't dream, like, I never really have. If I if I if I do, it's very rare. But I remember having a dream, and my mom was in it, and she was talking to me, and she she was speaking Portuguese, and I'm speaking English, and I'm like, how does she know Portuguese, and I don't? This mm. is messed mm-hmm. up. But I understood her too, and so then I remember, mm. I, I remember thinking about that throughout the day. I'm like, wow, I actually understood what she said in there, and and. If it was my mind doing the everything in there, right? She probably wasn't great Portuguese from my mom because I didn't know a ton, but it was still Portuguese, so that was fun. <laughs> so did you feel like with the language you could understand what people were saying before you felt you could fluently speak, speak it? Speak it back, yeah. 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 Um, especially the the Brazilians where I served, amazing people, fantastic just a really beautiful people and they if you put any effort into learning their language they ate it up they loved it they loved that a another person was there trying to learn how to communicate with them and they would help and you could ask them like really really slow really dumb it down for me like let's go step by step and you would get there you'd be like oh i get it i see what you're going at but communicating back would be pretty difficult. So I just, uh, there was a point after about seven or eight months that I felt I could just communicate comfortably. But again, it probably wasn't, it wasn't exact Portuguese. It wasn't like I'm speaking it really correctly, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but at the time, my mission president who had served his mission actually in the mission right next to ours 
whenever he went around, everybody talked about how his accent, he didn't have an accent. It was like perfect. He spoke almost perfect Portuguese. And it, and they, they kept coming around saying, well, because you can see Brazilians that have different skin tones and whatnot, and you might not even fully recognize that they're from Brazil, you know, because there were, I, I believe in history, there were a lot of Germans that went there. There's a lot of Asian there. There's a lot of uh, just different races there. So you could see someone and, and maybe not know right off their race whether they were there. But, uh, and so they could never tell with my mission president what part of Brazil he came from. But he spoke so well that yeah. like that he just had no accent. He just it was pretty crazy. That's, Every- that's funny because I had my first companion was really blonde from Idaho actually in my train. Uh-huh. <laughs> he would get mad because I would talk to people and people would say like oh oh yeah they would get it because I speak Portuguese. But when my companion tried to say something, they would what what did he say? <laughs> yep. and he would get mad and frustrated yep. but then sometimes he would go and say like hey I am from the south of Brazil I am from Rio Grande do Sul I am from whatever you know and they would totally get it yes I totally understand you yeah I do. and yep. then you would see it I just need to say I'm Brazilian that's all oh. <laughs> So talk about some of your experiences with companions, good or bad. Oh, companions. The best of the best and the worst of the worst. I feel like there were some from both sides. And, and I'm, I'm going to throw out that little, I don't know, disclaimer for me. I probably wasn't the best companion all the time, right? I don't feel like I really held anybody back. Um, but I, I seem to get quite a few companions that that were struggling in some way, which I get everybody does. But I, I remember having a few that struggled emotionally and uh, and it was it was hard to to get them to do anything and then it, granted when it when that kind of thing happens it's hard to also keep yourself engaged you know because because mm-hmm. it's a lot of work but uh i i definitely had a struggle bus with with quite a few of them and and some of them were brazilian and some of them were american and and some of the struggles really came from from both sides. I don't know. It was it was pretty fair. But I had one from actually Fortaleza. And uh, it was a scary experience with him. Because he was very emotionally unbalanced. And... Uh, Max said... A little crazy? Crazy. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and he had, he had been in their military. But it's just weird, weird dealing with him. Because getting up to that point, it was my second area when I went there, but he was the companion I was with the longest. Mm-hmm. He kept me there with him for a long time. And and there was even, there were two points that I called the mission president directly. And I said, hey, or not called him. I called him one time and I talked to him in an interview 
one of the other times in the interview I felt was a little safer because obviously that dude wasn't around. Uh, but also when I did call the mission president, I was able to talk in English and really fast and, and he wouldn't understand what I was saying. Mm -hmm. Right. But I really felt unsafe with the guy because he was, he was the, what do you call it when, uh, the senior companion. Oh, okay. He was the senior companion because he obviously was, he could speak the language and he had more time there. But I, I mean, for example, he took me to weird areas at late hours, like when we barely had enough time to get home and we're walking through places with dogs like Rottweilers and things that are not on chains and we're running through a forest and we have to, like, we had to get away from some dogs a couple times and... He full well know, knew that that area was like that. And I had uh, infected feet at the time. And he was taking me through that area where we had to run. We had to do all this mm. different stuff. And uh, that's, a, that's, that's a different scary story for later because it really messed with me. But um, then there was a night that I remember you share a room with each other. But you just have, obviously, separate beds away from each other. And I remember waking up, and I just, I always look at the door, and then I always look around. And all of a sudden, I remember looking over, and he's sitting on his bed like this, and he's just staring at me. Oh. And I just woke up, and I leaned back, and I was like, are you good? And all of a sudden, he'd snap out of it and be like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And I'd be like, well, go to bed, you know? But, like, to have someone wake up and just stare right at you. And do you think, um, what was the response of your mission president when you voiced those concerns? Uh, and you would think that a lot of, you know, emotional weight plays into it because you kind of have to feel safe with where you're at, right? Mm hmm all I got from my mission president was that I needed to learn how to love him. Mm -hmm. And that's a crap answer. I mean, yeah. learn to love him, yes. Because when you're on your mission, you are, you are trying to be that disciple of Christ, you know, someone that would serve others. And so I can see his point, like learning to love him. But, but when someone feels physically distressed or scared... Yeah, you don't keep them in that position. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, and it, it messed with me with that companion because um, you're always told to follow the rules no matter what. And unfortunately, at the time, he was a companion that liked to break certain rules. Not any rules that would be like like really major um but for example we were always told that um men and women living together would need to get married essentially before they could be baptized because they you you're supposed to be married before living together and some of the missionaries would, would talk to these people and tell them, hey, let's get you married, and then we can talk about baptism. 
And a lot of people would go for it. They're like, yeah, okay. And the missionary would be the witness like for... The wedding. Yeah, because it's hard to find people that can meet at the, uh, what they called the cartorio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Um, it's like a courthouse of here. Yeah, where they can sign oh, the official okay. documents and all that stuff. And uh, the missionaries would be would offer to be the the witnesses for it, and that would save them having to find other members or other people to show up to do that for them. And we just had a meeting with a seventy about we're not allowed to do that. Like, and he specifically came straight out and said, "Don't do that." Don't be the witness. At well, the yeah, moment. because. Because missionaries were were using a lot of time to be there, and they oh. weren't out there doing stuff. And but it's the way that that leader spoke, and he's like, "Don't do it." And it, and it gave you that feeling of almost like a parent, like you'll be in trouble if mm-hmm. we find out you've been doing this kind of a thing. And and you, again, you're you're always taught to follow the rules. Well, the first thing that we we got when we got home was he called. Uh, it was like. One or two other couples that he was going to take to to get them married. And he scheduled and said, yeah, we'll be your witnesses. We'll go with you. Right. And I was like, did you just miss that meeting that we were sitting in? Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, it was in Portuguese. I know you heard it. I know. Mm -hmm. And you you try to obey. And I finally told him, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it because I'm not going to disobey like that. And he got very upset. And that's where he took me into some of those areas. And it wasn't like, hey, we need to go talk to people. Like, he took me because... It was like a retaliation. Just, just yeah. Like you. He, he knew that my feet were hurt. He knew that wow. we had a very long way to come back. And, and, I mean, my feet and some other health issues are for probably a little bit later. But, like... Oh, we're going to... We'll get to that. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, <laughs> companions. I struggled I struggled with some companions over over things like that just because... Um, you, they they had their little way of doing it or what they wanted to do, and and unfortunately, some of it took them breaking a couple of the rules. And I just I was always taught not to play that game. So, but that wasn't enough to reload, get you a different companion or anything. No. Like you voiced your concern and of you know being afraid or whatever, or mm-hmm. like living in fear or whatever and they're like well learn to love him yeah. there was no like reassessing his mental health no, state not or at all. maybe let's take a, a look and see what's going on with him it's just like oh learn to love well and and i struggled with that companion because there was a family that we were teaching and again this is my second area i don't speak portuguese at that time it's very broken up and in order for me to understand something, it's got to be quite a bit slower. Mm-hmm. Because when you hear Portuguese rolled off the tongue, like especially when it's spoken correctly, you almost can't hear exactly how the word's written because you don't hear all the different vowel sounds and all that stuff. Mm. It just has the way that they say it. And if, you, if you're not used to them saying that word that way, you're not going to pick it up. And so I did not speak very well at all. And we were teaching a family, and um, after that missionary went home, I was his last companion sending him home. 
And then I got a new companion and I went back to that family because we had, we had baptized three of their kids and the mom. And I went, I remember going there and, uh, it had been a little bit of time since we had been back there and she was in tears and I was like, what's going on? Like what happened? And the first thing that she says to me, she speaks really slow and she says, he didn't come back for me. And I was like, who, who are you talking about? And she's like, your companion, he didn't come back for me. Like he said he would. I was like, what? So I found out that he was like flirting with her. Yeah. Right in front of me, but I couldn't tell because I don't speak Portuguese. Developing some type of relationship. Yeah, it was all kinds of weird. And uh, and after he went home, she said that he had never contacted or said that he never came back like he said he would. And I was like, well, now I know what he was doing all those times. It wasn't necessarily teaching, you know, but I couldn't follow along because... I don't speak Portuguese as well. So, yeah. Um, That's where I struggled with him. You shared with me at one point about a companion that was, like, taking your food. (laughs) That wasn't my companion. We had... um, There were three sets of missionaries renting out one house. Okay. And uh, this was just another missionary who... Was hungry. <laughs> well, hungry. <laughs> I mean, Just kidding. I feel like I'm probably everyone was hungry. You know, I'm I'm probably obviously like overweight and whatnot. But uh, this dude was was overweight. He really was, and he was uh, just as tall as I was and whatnot. But his argument from the very first day I got there, he goes, "Hey, we've broken up these times that you can be in the bathroom, you know, getting ready." And everybody takes this certain amount of time. but And he says to me, this is the first memory I have of this guy. He goes, you can see that I'm bigger than all of you. So that's why I've carved out a little more time for me in the bathroom. Because I'm bigger. And I said, and and I remember saying, well, I know people who are bigger than you. And they can get out of there just fine. So no. You get the same amount as everybody else. Wow. And it's like, in a weird way, he just was trying to, to strong arm that along. And yeah. I was like, and, and I just was like, no, that's not going to go. I'm alpha. That's what he's saying, right? I'm alpha of this house. Yeah. And, and like, you would get certain, like, personal snacks that you would go and get with your money, right? Or with your own few dollars you have to. Yeah. Or hey eyes. Too. Yeah, and you would go you would go pick up this stuff, but his argument was, "Hey, you can see I'm a little bigger. It takes a little more food for me to so feed I myself." Your so your food too. <laughs> but it was and and a lot of it would happen before we got home. Mm. But they would be the only ones home before we got home. You know what I mean? Were all the other missionaries complaining in that house that he was taking their food? Well, so I started asking. I was like, did somebody else eat this? Do you guys know? And they were like, and every single one of them said the same thing. We have food go go missing too. We know who it is. And I was like, well, who is it? And they're like, it's him. And, And so I approached them. I'm like, are you eating my stuff? And at first it was, no, 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 no. No. 
And then having siblings, mm-hmm. you know how to figure out who's doing it. <laughs> so almost like a sibling, I got up closer and I got right up in there and I said, did you take my stuff? And then sure enough, he goes, well, yeah, but I was hungry. I said, I don't care. Like, you, ha- you get the same amount as I do to live off of. And you go and spend it however you're going to. And you have the ability to buy the food just like I do. Yeah. And- I was like, stop eating my stuff. I said, I'm, I'm warning you one time, just one time. I was like, you're done with that. If not, I'll figure out how to lock my stuff up or make it disappear to where you won't be able to get access because I get hungry too. I get I have to last the same amount of time as you do and it's not fair. And I said and the problem is is it's not even like you're just taking a little bit here and there. You're like you're full on eating large amounts of the food that I have. And I said and it's happening to everybody else in the house. And so when there's six people living there and five of us have food that keeps going missing, he's getting quite a bit of food from everybody else. Mm-hmm. That he doesn't need. Well, that in turn, down the road, uh, tried to almost bite me in the butt because we were at a we were at a general conference for the church that happens twice a year. But you would go to like the big churches because they would be able to broadcast it there, and that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to see it. Well, my mission president happened to be at one, and. Uh, Oh, I remember this guy. He was also one of those big, strong arms. You're gonna follow my rules, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna lead this mission with an iron fist, kind of a mm. thing, you know. And he pulled me aside later on, and he goes, "Hey, you've got this, you've got this missionary that's in your house, and uh, and he's he's really struggling with stuff, and he tells me that you keep yelling at him because of food." I was like, yeah, and I explained the whole situation to him. And then he goes, "Mm, don't you think it would just be better to love him? Mm. I said, sure. I said, but you know what I don't love? And he goes, what's that? And I said, I don't love being hungry Mm. when I get very limited money and I'm required to take care of myself. I didn't know that I was going to be covering for two adults. Well, and sorry to jump in, but... In the beginning, we were talking about the monthly cost from your family for you to be out, but it's not like that amount that your family's paying all goes to you, right? It, there's a huge discrepancy no, between no, 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 no. what your family pays in versus what you actually get for you know your own. No, that doesn't food go. and transportation. That so doesn't go to you. When that, the, that's so uh, limited already, and then you have someone in the house kifing that stuff. Yeah, as that's far what as I was wondering. It's it's not like your family's just sending you money here and there, and you can spend it on whatever you want. It, mm-hmm. It's the it it goes to the mission, mission and mm-hmm. then they figure that well, out. Well, it doesn't go to like my specific mission. I'm sure it goes to church headquarters oh, and goes yeah. to a There's mission a whole, fund for. Oh, wow everything and even um the branches and the words they have like a missionary fund if your bishop want to contribute with that in your branch or whatever it is uh they can send money but it's not gonna go straight to you it's gonna go to the church 
and the church is going to put that in the general fund for missionaries. Yeah, so you're already heavily reliant on the members themselves to, uh-huh. to feed you. Uh-huh. Then the tiny little bit you have to try to make stretch. Uh-huh. And then when that's also getting taken, it's, oh, Elder, don't you think you should just love him when he's stealing your food? <laughs> like, yeah. oh, like, don't you think you can just feed us so we're not starving? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and maybe his uh, extra calories aren't my responsibility. <laughs> well, yeah. And so I talked to that mission president and he goes, don't you think we should just learn to love him? I said, I don't love being hungry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, uh, it's absolutely not fair when we all get the same amount. And he keeps, and I said this, I said, he keeps arguing that he's bigger than the rest of us. So it takes more food for him. I said, there's a difference between being bigger and overweight. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, but I've been both. <laughs> I'm bigger and I've been overweight. And like, it would not be fair for me to take a lot of food from other people when we all have the same amount. To, to survive on you know isn't there that uh thou shalt not steal that's one uh, of, that's, that's one thing right that's a minor <laughs> thing i mean they talk about maybe we should keep the commandments well but then but then i do remember seeing that guy who the mission president pulled me aside to talk to me and i could see in the distance like that missionary giving me the look like oh yeah he's getting the talking to and then oh, he's wow. gonna He's going to allow me to still take some food. And I remember seeing those eyes. And I I don't know that he he saw me exactly. But I saw the look on his face. And I'm, again, I grew up with a lot of people in that house. And I feel like I can read facial expressions pretty good. And he had the look like I was getting the talking to. And that, that I was going to basically submit and let him just mm-hmm. take whatever he wanted. And I remember getting back to the house and he walks up and almost had a smug tone. And the first thing I said to him was, don't touch my stuff. Stay away from all of it. I was like, you have no permission to touch any of that. Just stay away from it. And he looked at me like this, like, well, that didn't go like I, like I thought it would. <laughs> and then I was out of there within the next transfer. So it didn't matter too much anyway but that also didn't stop the the however long i was there which felt like a while you know so he still got into it after no no he left it alone after that just because i i walked right up to him and said don't touch my stuff yeah i'm done with that so Hmm. yeah anyway that was any other good or bad companion experiences Um, some of them were some of them were really good. I had I had an American companion that I haven't been able to to uh, make contact with lately, and he got upset to, with me because at the time in that area I had a kidney stone and I was very sore, and you know almost like siblings do where they. They call it a jump start where they go like this and it's on your kidneys and makes you kind of jump up. And this kid kept poking my kidneys. And I was like, do you not understand that I just went in for a stone? Like, like it, I'm hurting all over. Just leave me alone. And he would walk past and always just jab me. Oh. And it started driving me nuts. And finally, like a sibling, 
sorry, siblings do this, right? <laughs> I looked at him. I said, if you hit me in the kidney again, I'm probably going to punch you in the arm. Yeah. Don't do it. And he gave me a look like I was joking. And he, uh, and he got me again. And I just went, boom, right on his arm. And he gave me that look like, I can't believe you hit me. And I said, and in my mind, I'm going, I can't believe that you let that go on that long and you're jabbing me no. when, I'm, when I'm already this sick. And to that time, like we were together for a few weeks after that, then he got transferred. I have not talked to that person. I've tried. I have tried to make contact with him multiple times, but I'm pretty sure because of that one instance, he has you know not what? talked to me I ever since. one kidney stone my whole life. And it's hard to put into words like an adequate description of the intensity of pain. And that was one, that was one like average size kidney stone. But I can tell you if somebody poked me in the kidney when I was enduring that kind of pain, that would be a broken finger for sure. <laughs> like it would not be, there's, there's no forewarning. The there's no, don't do it again. There's no, don't you know how much pain I'm in? That's your fingers broken Well, because it's, the, the pain is so, like, at least for me, the only thought I could even register in my brain was pain. Uh-huh. Nothing mm. else. Nothing else at all. Well, and, and we all grew up with siblings. You give the sibling a warning. You, you always do. You end up just like, hey, knock it off or you're going to get thumped kind of a thing. And I grew up with brothers and it happens all the time. And that was nothing more than I ever would have done to my sibling. And what happens? Then you thump them and they go, mom, dad. And then mom and dad goes, well, what were you doing? And they're like, I did nothing. And then you step in and go, how about all the pokes to my kidney? Did you do that? Well, yeah. Well, then you deserved what you got. You know what I mean? That kind of a thing. But yeah, for him to not ever have any contact after that and i know it was his number i know i could hear his voicemail what made like you want to contact him after? he was a good companion for the majority of the time like we had a really good time and when i felt like we had a, a pretty good relationship as uh as friends and and it was the only thing that could have ever gone wrong during that was that one thing and he never oh. contacted after that interesting maybe he finally had some kidney stones and so he was just <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but but so i remember my help. i remember my final yeah. area my second to last companion best companion i ever had amazing and he was brazilian and he was from uh is it Porto Alegre that has the gauchos yeah. that make all the barbecue South and stuff? Brazil, yeah. yeah, so he was from down there. Incredible individual. Just, he could play the guitar, and he he would show all kinds of stuff. I mean, we broke a couple rules here and there <laughs> where he'd be like, check out this Metallica, uh, not Metallica, but like some of the people down there would be listening to, at the time it was Linkin Park, and he'd be like, listen to that guitar. And I'd be like, okay. And then all of a sudden he'd go, check this out. And he'd pick up a member's guitar and just start playing that exact song. I'm like, wow. I didn't know that you were that good. He's like, I'm in a band. I'm like, oh, cool. cool." And so that didn't happen all the time. So people don't freak out. But like. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're getting phone calls. Yeah, we're getting phone calls. Caller one, tell us how you're mad. Anyway, um, he he was just an incredible individual. uh, He's the only one that sent me an email after. And then I feel bad because he sent it from his mission one, and I don't have his personal one now. 
and I feel like it's going to be pretty difficult to contact him again. I haven't been able to run into him on social media or anything. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, just amazing person. Cool. Yeah. What about with leadership, like good or bad experiences with leadership on your mission? Uh, mostly normal stuff, but, but bad as far as, um, I feel like ever taking care of your personal well-being or taking you serious as to things that might be going on. Yeah. And, uh, they're, they're in charge of your care. They really are. They're in charge of, um. Well, of your day to day, they're they're in charge of your your area that you're in. Mm-hmm. They're in charge of your medical well being because they they're the ones that have to authorize whether you go to the doctor or not, right? And to what doctor you go to, pretty much, mm-hmm. and and about whether uh, about believing you whether there's there's actual medical issues or I not. Know, I know there's like a really big story we're leading into uh, with trauma on your mission so maybe let's do this maybe let's get into good and bad experiences with the people first and then let's get into more of the the experiences with leadership with kind of what happened towards the end of your mission what so it's just the people there yeah the people you met the people you taught um there were there were lots of people um now again i made the incredibly huge mistake of selling my camera when I was getting ready to come home because you're, you want to try and get some money to be able to get a couple things to remember Brazil and things like that. And I had bought a really nice digital camera that oddly enough, I never got jumped. It never got taken, but I had 3000 pictures of my mission on there and all different kinds of parts of Brazil that I was in. And there was a member there who said, we'll throw it onto my computer here and we'll put it just onto a flash drive. And we got him onto his computer, but we could not get him pulled onto a flash drive at all. And so, and then I got transferred out of that area. And I'm like, well, there goes my 3,000 pictures right there. And and that member is like, well, we'll figure out how to get him to you. I've never been able to contact Mm. them either. And that was... I came home in 2006. It's been that long. So wow. they're not going to have that computer anymore. That were, Or if they do, I mean, I would buy it off them. Honestly, I would just so I could try and have somebody extract whatever photos were on there. Yeah. But I, I lost 3,000 pictures of, of Brazil. Mm. But the people were just fantastic. I snapped pictures of a lot of them just to remember them. And, and uh, like... Just so nice. Warm, welcoming. All usually, usually with most people, it's amazing food. It's amazing culture. It's it's fun to be around them. Just generally, really happy people. And when they get excited to see you, it makes you feel, you know, all the warm and fuzzies. But I mean, there's still there's there is one family that I have kind of stayed in contact with, or at least. We all follow each other on on social media now, and um, 
And even now, I, I still send them messages like, oh, I miss you guys. And they're like, we miss you too. If you ever want to come down, just uh, come stay at our place. Yeah. We'll make a party of it, you know. And it's crazy to see all, all of them that were just so tiny, all the kids. Mm-hmm. They're all grown up now, and they all have kids. Mm-hmm. It's weird, but that's life, right? So. What about your experience in like the different wards? Were, were there enough members in your areas to have... Like wards and stakes, yeah. or was it smaller, more like no, branches? It was always wards. Uh, Sao Paulo's really, really um, packed with people. It's a very big city. I think when I first got there, I don't know about the numbers if it's exactly right, but I heard that Sao Paulo, you could go like right to the middle of it. And uh, now, again, if this is accurate, but I heard you could drive like 70 miles almost each direction and that would only take you to the outer part of where Sao Paulo is. Wow. It's just a huge, huge, dense. Wow. And they and they don't have mountains like we have here. Now, they got some pretty good sized hills, but they, they're all hills. And it's like somebody would build their house down at the bottom and then someone would build it into the hill above them, but kind of resting on top of their house. And they just sit there and stack up and up and up the hill. Mm -hmm. And they have different roads that lead up there. But then there's a lot of different stairs and tunnel systems that just go through to each one of them. Wow. And it's it's very different. And... uh, Very very cool looking. They paint their... Favelas? Yeah, it was in the favelas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so like more... Areas of poverty, right? Yeah. Kind of? Yeah. I don't and know. It's sort of makeshift. It's kind of... Dirt floors or cement floors. Although, like, they're pretty impressive because they have these systems that they... They have uh, infrastructure that they they come up with on their own, not necessarily connected with any official city type of thing. They just build it like for like know, water right? and i mean they have they have sewer that they all tie in together mm-hmm. and yeah as gross as it is like you're not supposed to flush toilet paper there because it'll clog up their system right right, right. Mm-hmm. but most it's, countries but it's still impressive that they still the have the the sewer all hooked up you know but they have water they have they have electricity they have all that stuff now they're being an electrician now and remembering some of the different things I saw there, yeah, some of it was pretty sketchy. But, you know, cool that they still had it. And their buildings, they they really liked, at least in the favelas, they really liked to paint on stuff. And they like bright colors. You'd mm-hmm. see one house that's just the brightest green you've ever seen. Then you could see another one that's like yellow or a deep blue or a, mm-hmm. or even a pink or an orange or whatever. And so you'd see all these different colors on houses and and uh, they just roll over the hills. They just roll with them and so many people, but super cool. So, Did you, did you ever have that thought of, um, you know, you're describing how they are so warm and welcoming and, and happy generally. Um, did you ever have that thought as an American of like that they could be so happy with, um, a lot fewer of like the luxuries or conveniences that you're used to here? Sure. 
Yeah, because they figure out they figure out different ways of uh, you know socializing and getting along without really. I mean, a, a few people had stereos where I was at, so they would have like CDs or some tapes and things, and they would listen that way. But um, but a lot of them, a lot of places I went, I don't recall seeing the TV. Um, and so they were, a lot of time they were outside or they were just in like their little mini courtyard with their family or playing soccer in the street. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. Soccer's huge. And I love soccer, so I was all about it. Mm-hmm. But they have, they have different internal uh, teams for each little city. And they have some big main ones, you know, for the different parts of... Of uh, even in Sao Paulo, I mean, they had they call them Corinthianos, which is you know the I don't know it, they were they were from more of I would say kind of like a poverty area, but they were extremely good, cool team to to see doing stuff. But then Santo Amaro, where I was, they had their own little team. Was it Santo Amaro? Or no, the team, it wasn't Santo Amaro. It was uh, Sao Paulo. The Sao Paulo had their own specific team. In fact, that's the jersey you guys picked up for me. But they were my favorite. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they were from a slightly nicer part of the city. You know what I mean? But they all had their little rivals. They all had their games. And mm-hmm. uh, and it was you could definitely tell when a, when a game was going on because you'd hear... When they when one of them got a goal, you'd hear certain parts of the city just erupt, and then you'd <laughs> you'd hear the other one, and they'd go nuts. And same thing with the World Cup. Even though when I was there, the World Cup Brazil didn't get exactly too far, but that that city shut down. Like yeah. it was almost like a zombie apocalypse walking through there because there wasn't there wasn't anybody out there. In fact, that's a weird story is there's a big highway that crossed under where I was at when the World Cup was happening. And it's dead quiet. We're walking over this huge bridge and there's this big highway that comes underneath and I saw two buses racing each other. They were not going the speed limit. They were (laughs) racing each other and they were hauling down that road. And I just remember thinking, well, they got to get to the game or... It's just that empty, and they want to race and see who's yeah. going to win in a bus. I don't know, because they were cooking. Yeah. They were going fast. Were there people on it? I'm sure. Yeah, I don't know. Like I really out. don't know. Or was it just the drivers? No idea. Um, you mentioned to me at one point something about this kind of understood relationship between the missionaries and some of the drug dealers in the area. Oh yeah. Um, they might not be part of your religion, right? But they would they would look at you and be like, "This is a man of this is a man of God. He's he's doing God's work. He's talking about Christ and everything." And and uh, they'd say things like, "We got your back. Don't worry. Like no one's gonna mess with you." And they really yeah. wouldn't. And you'd keep a you'd keep a good relationship with some of them, and you'd know who they are, even though they wouldn't come right out and say exactly who they are. You you would hear from other people, and you'd say, "Hey, this is a big dude. Like don't." Don't mess with him, you know. Mm-hmm. But all 
all we ever did was just, hi, how are you? Like, nice to meet you. We'd like to just share a message about Christ with you. And they're like, oh, yeah, let's hear it. And then in the end, they probably were more like, no, nah, it's not for us, but but we can respect that you're out there talking about them. And they would, and people wouldn't mess with you because they knew him. And um, that didn't happen everywhere, but there was a few of them. Yeah, that's interesting. So maybe now let's get into, because um, my next question was, did you serve the whole two years? Which kind of leads into your more traumatic experiences towards yeah. the end of your mission, which also plays into your experiences with leadership. So yeah. maybe wherever makes sense to start into that. Uh, well, it started with my feet. Um, I was really prone to, it's gross, but like ingrown toenails. Like, I don't know, just couldn't ever get a handle on it. Tried to, and, and it was both of my big toes. They both got infected, one on both sides and one on one side, but it was bad. And I would try to soak my feet with salt water and hot water, all that stuff, wash them, and could never get the infection to to uh, get under control or whatever, or go away or clear up. And the first time they said, I called and they almost didn't believe that it was bad enough. And they're like, well, we have a mission doctor. We'll send you to the mission doctor. And he knew I was coming and he knew why. But then when I get there, he goes, I don't have any pain meds. I can't numb your foot and I can't give you anything. We're out of that stuff. Mm. I'm like, then why did they send me to you? Why didn't they just send me somewhere else? And he go, and and basically I was in bad enough way where I was like, just try and do whatever then. And he had to cut back in and he started in and we got about two or three minutes and there was blood and there was a lot of pain and he's digging with scissors. With scissors? Yeah. He's digging into your toe, your yeah. infected toe yeah. with scissors. Well, the, whatever scissors he had. Because his idea, his, his whole thing was get the jagged piece out and let's put some stuff in between the skin and the nail and let's give it a way to come out and stay away from your skin. Well, like I said, I got two, three minutes into that, and finally I just cut him off. I said, no, I'm done. I'm out. I can't handle it. Painful. And so I left there, kept soaking, kept trying to do all this stuff, and it just would it would never go away. And so I just started living with it because I would literally call. It was the mission president's wife who was in charge of all the medical stuff. Like you would get authorization from her about where whether to go somewhere or whatnot if you can go where to go <clears throat> excuse me and uh and so she it, i i kept getting brushed off and and or when i showed her my feet in person she was just like well just go soak them in this stuff and i'm like that's what i've been doing <laughs> and it doesn't help that i can't be off them i have to be walking around doing all this stuff and uh and they're getting like sweaty in your shoes. Well, you're, you're getting sweaty. You're walking around. You're constantly moving where your toes and your nails are going to be like a saw effect, you know. Oh. And and uh, the shoes are tight always, right? And um, I remember going to lunch at this, uh, this sister's house and such good food. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. <laughs> But then she kept looking at me, and every step I was taking, she's like, hey, take your shoes off. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh, 
here we go. She, but then I, my thought was, she might have some natural kind of remedy that she might oh, know something, you yeah. know. And she didn't have that, but she took him off, and she started talking to me about who takes care of you. Oh. And I was like, well, I have to go through this person and this person in order to get there. And I said, but this is what I've done, and and I'm just not getting anywhere. So I don't know how to fix this, you know. And all of a sudden she goes, give me her number. Like the mission president. And I was like, I don't know that that's a good idea. (laughs) And she goes, she goes, I need you to trust me right now. And I've been, she, and this was an old lady. And so she's seen things, you know, I know she has. Oh my gosh. She ripped into the mission president's wife and she spoke English, but she ripped into her. In fact, at the time, I believe she had a daughter. This lady in Brazil had a daughter living in South Jordan, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she, she came over and got married. And, interesting. And she was over here. Anyway, because I remember going into the bathroom, and there was some lemon soap there. But when I noticed, it was from Bath and Body Works. Oh. And I was like, well, we're going to use a little bit of that and smell <laughs> something delicious. And it was so good. The smell was awesome. Anyway, she ripped into the mission president's wife and was like, you should see these feet. Like, they're bad. They're bad. They're infected. And if it stays long enough, it could get into his blood. It's gonna. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Well, so then they send me to this other doctor. And even what that doctor didn't, it didn't even correct it. Um, still no, nothing for the pain. Nothing for the pain ever. Like, I could never, wow. like... All I wanted was some ibuprofen even, you know, but nothing. Anyway, so what ended up happening there was, and this is this is bad, so sorry. But um, I'm walking down the street with my companion, and there's this big area where these big steps go down. And very steep, and it was perfect area to just sit down and dangle your feet over. And I told my companion, I was like, no, get cozy right here for a minute, because I got to figure out something with my feet. They're bad. And he's like, what are you going to do? I was like, I don't know, but we're not moving anywhere, so you better just get cozy for a minute. So he sits down on the side of the road, or he just kind of wandered around here and there, and I pulled off my shoe, and I pulled my foot up as close as I could, and I grabbed the nail, and I start wiggling it left and right, left and right, and then up and down a little bit, and they could feel... I don't know, what do they call it, a tendon? Like, not a tendon, a ligament or something that was just holding the nail down to the nail bed. And I finally just went, and I just pulled oh, it backwards, and it separated yes. that. That hurt bad. Oh. And then I wiggled left, right, left, right, left, right, and I finally just pulled, and I felt my whole entire big toenail just go pop right off. And, I, and it wasn't a pop like that. It was more like a, and I could just feel it just rip right off. And I took the toenail and I, went, I flung it off to the side. <laughs> and my foot was bleeding a little bit. And I just kind of let it sit there. And, and again, I'm in the street. It's gross, right? Mm. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't good. Beautiful area. <laughs> but the water and the dirt and the stuff on the ground was not good. Mm. I put my sock back on. I put my foot back in the shoe. Yeah. And I said, and that was the foot that hurt the worst. So that was only one of the injuries. Yeah, it was my left foot. It was my left foot. And then um, went back to the house and heavily soaked that one, like really trying to just kill everything on it. 
and my foot felt amazing within two and a half weeks after that. But you still had the other. But I still had the other one. And that one, I was playing soccer on a P day. And I love soccer, but I stuck my foot out kind of sideways to kick like this. And and the ball came and hit my foot dead on. And it grabbed my shoe, which in turn grabbed part of my toenail in there. And it forced the nail back. And that same ligament tearing or whatever... I felt that happen in my shoe, and it goes, and it rips back, and I go, well, that made that easy. Here we go. I pull my shoe off, and I'm working it. It hurts like crazy, and I finally rip that one off, and I throw it away, and I go home and soak my feet. And again, within a few weeks of that, my feet cleared up completely. Had no problems with them. Was there any follow-up from from the mission president's wife? After sending you to get treatment, did she ever follow up and... Hey, how, you know, how did that go? How nope. are your feet? Nope. I'm sure they wow. just, I'm sure the church just got a bill for whatever, but, but no. No, no follow, follow up. up to make sure you so were again, doing better. No, it just, it was a lot of, I'm sorry, but it was a lot of neglect right there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just bad. But then that leads into, and, and that was pretty traumatic because, Again, I'm walking on it all day, every day, and then you're going to doctors that have no pain meds. <clears throat> they're cutting into your, they're cutting into your foot, and there's nothing you can do. It's bad. Yeah. It wasn't like America, sorry, where they would numb your foot, and you could, and they would get in there and do whatever they had to, and then the the numbness would wear off, and, and you'd have pain meds. Still send you home with pain meds, yeah. Well, and and at least an antibiotic or something that yeah. would make sure you didn't get infected. No, it was. Wow. Yeah. So where where I ripped the the first one off, I was um, probably within 10, 15 minutes of being home, where I could go in and just mm-hmm. boil some water and let that cool down to a point and stick my foot in there with salt and everything and then the second area it was the same kind of thing it was p day so we weren't far from home but i went home and did the same thing and just tried to keep it clean fresh socks uh clean shoes as much as you can and then uh that's where the the next big one was kidney stones and that started in the mtc first one it was bad they sent me to the hospital and then up to the end, I had something like, by that point, I had had 24 of them. Whoa. Throughout and, your and mission? I could, and, and there were quite a few times that I felt it move and could see the stone, you know, once it, once it came out. Hmm. But it was the first one that I had no idea what was going on. And that was in the MTC. And that was a lot of blood. And then it was the last one, the the one that was in my last area that <clears throat> sent me home one transfer early from completing the two years. So um, how close were you to the end of your mission when that one last transfer, one? Six weeks. Six weeks, okay. Yep, I didn't get to finish my last transfer. But, uh, but the, yeah, so they... that that big one happened and I remember specifically I went from the favela to actually a pretty rich area it was it was kind of a culture shock going there because 
it's stuff that we would be used to around here, you know, but there were a lot of high rises. There were lots, there was an airport there that you could continually see planes moving all over. And this lady happened to live in an area where she had a tennis court. And I'm like, I haven't played tennis for almost two years now. Like it's, it's been a long time. It'd be fun to play on, on a P day, you know? And so my companion at the time was American and, uh, and he's like, yeah, I play tennis. Let's just go have some fun. So we did tennis, and she let us have lunch with her, which was awesome. And then we left her place, gave the tennis rackets back, said goodbye, everything. Went down around the corner about three, four minutes away from her. And she was the Relief Society president of the ward that we were in. Um, and we went into this little internet cafe kind of thing where you you pay for a certain amount of time and we would that's how we would log on and check our emails and see if if the family wrote us or whatever and we're not supposed to even necessarily go to the bathroom like around the corner or without our companion but he was definitely into his email just going <coughs> oh that was loud sorry and uh i remember i remember going into the bathroom there and that was the most blood that I've ever seen with any kind of a kidney wow. stone. Scared the crap out of me to the point that I walked out and I said, we're going now. And he goes, I'm not done yet. And I said, you didn't listen. I said, we're going now. And I reached over and I hit send on his email, which wasn't done. I logged him out of both computers. I said, stand up. We got to get to the hospital now because pretty soon I'm not even going to be able to think. And we got less than 300 feet down the road. And I fell over and oh I was gosh. like, I can't think, I can't yeah. even imagine. So uh, the the guy I was with, the companion, he was a district leader who had a cell phone. Um, he calls the Relief Society president that we were just there. She comes out with her car, picks us up, takes me to the hospital. And they gave me a little bit of... I, I'm assuming it's, it was like morphine or something. Took a little bit of the pain away, but they were doing the ultrasound and they couldn't find the, the kidney stone. And there was too much blood and urine. I guess with an ultrasound, you can't see anything in there. And they were like, yeah, we don't see anything in there, so maybe you passed it. And, and I'm on the pain meds. I'm like, okay. So they sent me home and they gave me some stuff that's supposed to like make your tubes larger inside mm -hmm. so that the stone can travel easier. Mm -hmm. They gave me some of that, and they're like, I guess come back if, if something else happens. I made it home that night, very tired, just very exhausted. And 3 a.m., mm -hmm. it hits me to where I sit straight up. I go into the bathroom, tons of blood. Mm -hmm. I walk out, and I said, it's 3 a.m., we're walking to the hospital, let's go. So let's... Uh... <laughs> Because I know how much more intense oh, yeah. this story gets. So let's maybe leave on a little bit of a cliffhanger for this part one. And we can finish off the rest of that story and you finally getting home back to America um, in part two. We'll start there in part two. But really quick, before we end this part one, one thing we didn't get into that I wanted to ask you about was your um, interviews with your mission president um, speak to how often you had those interviews was it just every transfer and then what was your 
um, perspective after those meetings as to what the what you felt like the focus was once you were in those interviews versus what you thought it was before like going into your mission that's pretty simple to explain that one actually because I've had a lot of time to to think back on that um, they happen generally once a transfer which was a transfer was every six weeks I think and um, and you could you can end up staying with your same companion for multiple transfers right but the transfers happened every six weeks and usually with a transfer you'd have um, either a zone conference or was it a district conference or something I think you have uh you have a zone. A zone. And that's usually you would show up for some kind of meeting and it would be for a good chunk of the day. They would feed you lunch and then you go back to your areas. Anyway, um, and that was around the time that transfers happened. Transfers happened. You'd go back to your area. Zone conference would happen shortly after. Then you go back to your area and you just keep going. Um, so you would meet with the mission president. Everybody in your zone would meet with the mission president generally that day and they were supposed to be quick interviews but it was always how are you okay let's get past that let's talk about the work okay that's where we're focusing you know all that mm -hmm. stuff and then they'd move on or you'd tell them like i did you would tell them about issues you have with your companion or, or feeling unsafe and that's where i got the just try to love them kind yeah. of stuff you know what i mean and uh, you can think I was with that that missionary for six or seven transfers, and so he kept continually hearing about how I didn't feel safe with the guy at all, and he blew it off seven times basically. So. And then, what were the questions around the work? Like, how would they me measure your performance? Well, way? just they would they would look over and see like how many discussions not discussions but like lessons you had. How many times we were supposed to like talk to so many people on the street and get it was a total it was a total numbers thing. And especially for this mission president, he is a numbers guy. He's a business owner. And for him, sorry, it was all numbers. numbers. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, I thought this was supposed to be more about like souls. You know what I mean? Like we're supposed to be helping souls. But it was always like, wow, you guys didn't hit those numbers. Let's try to be better on that. And I'm like, this is just a whole bunch of stuff about numbers. And and uh, is this person doing all the work that he's supposed to kind of a thing, like a job? You know what I mean? And so it was it was very it was very much so a numbers game to the point that I actually called my mission president out for it on my exit interview when I was leaving. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't. Do you feel like that was something that um, kind of like, I don't know, dampened your... My testimony? Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it messed with me pretty bad because um, I felt like he wasn't seeing me as an individual, like as, as a person that actually... Were, required some 
some level of attention to figure out not only the medical stuff going on, but like you're, you're dealing with people. You're not dealing with just some number. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's not like, tell me about the families that you've met. Tell me. Yeah. None of that. No, it was just numbers. It was, it was. Who did you meet this week? Who did you serve this week? What ways were you able to find to help, you know, such How's and such infection? families? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, none of that. No sincere concern for you or Are you guys starving or is there, do you have enough to right. get you by? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, no, just none of that. Or even the people that you're, I mean, it's just interesting because I remember having um, lessons even in young women's, not often, obviously, because we didn't have the same like priesthood responsibility to serve a mission, but we had um, lessons on missionary work from time to time. And I remember learning things like you're just there to be a part of their journey. Like you're there to plant a seed. You're there to um, express that Christ-like love and charity. And maybe due to that seed you planted or that interaction with you, then maybe down the line, you know, it it's all just little steps in their journey and you're just part of that one step at that time. Like you're the tool that in the Lord's hands in their eventual conversion. But it, I, I don't know, I guess that was my kind of perspective on it, but it wasn't like these are the numbers of baptisms we expect. These are the numbers, that, you know, I guess. Yeah. And I'm not saying that every mission is the same or every president's the same or that anybody necessarily had the same experience that I had. But but I do remember just sitting there being fairly frustrated that it was just numbers because, for example, again, I said earlier that we were supposed to walk up and talk to people, shake their hands and... and uh, just talk to them on the street, say, basically say hello. But they gave us a number of, you're supposed to do that 50 times throughout the week. And we want to hear that that's been completed at the end. So what did we end up having? You don't necessarily hit everybody, but you would have missionaries that then go down the road and just random people. Hi, how are you? This is so-and-so I'm walking on. Hi, how are you? So-and-so. And they would just do that. And I'm like, how's that meaningful? Mm-hmm. How is that going to stop that person and like, let them know that you're engaged with them, that you're talking to them, that you care about sharing a message with Christ with them. It doesn't. It just, it's just a numbers thing. Mm-hmm. I just want to be able to tell them that I did all fifty. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, let's go ahead and end this part one. Um, make sure you follow, subscribe, rate, review so that you can get notified when we drop part two because it's going to be the rest of Corey's um, experience with his mission, which is pretty crazy and intense. So you'll want to jump back in for the rest of that. And then we'll get into Max's experience with his mission, which I have a lot of questions about. So um Thank you for tuning in for this part one and you can uh, listen wherever you get your podcasts um, and we'll catch you for part two of A Tale of Two Missions. Thanks guys. Thanks Corey. Thanks Max. You bet.